Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Morning, church. No, it feel like, feels like we've got to shake the cold loose or get some energy back in the bones. Morning, church. It's great to be with you all this morning. It's great to have visitors with us this morning. Uh, it's a great morning to be together, even though we know not only South Africans, but people from Pretoria are wimps when it comes to weather. When the mercury dips slightly, we struggle. We don't want to get out of our beds and out of our houses or out of our rooms. But well done for you guys that you actually got up and you got to church. It's a good morning. Today we've got an amazing text before us. The text for today is kind of like the gateway for the rest of the New Testament. It is the lens through which we understand it. It is the portal through which God is building his church. And so it is a monumental text. It's a super exciting text, but it's a big text. And so we're going to run through this text next week. We're going to cover some of it as well but we've got to hold on to your seats. I'm going to take you through the movements of this text, and you've got to be with me, and you've got to be in your Bibles. If you do have a Bible with you, you can unlock, unlock it now. Stay in that text, because I'm going to take us through it quite quickly. And um, before we get to that, let me pray. Let me pray for clarity, and let me pray that the Spirit would work this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your words, that we don't have to wonder what your will is. It is made plain to us. However, it's not just the actual words written. It is through the illumination of your Spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come this morning, that you would illuminate the text to our hearts and soften our hearts that we don't just understand, but that we could respond to this beautiful word this morning. We're so thankful for the gracious message, the inclusivity of what we're going to read for this morning, the clarity of the gospel. We pray that as these people were cut to the heart hearing this message, we would be cut also with the word of God. Amen. Family, hope most of you enjoyed the long weekend last week, and especially Freedom Day. You guys had a good time. I know the universities took a break. Many of you had some leave, went a little bit away. Um, And on Freedom Day, Tuesday past, we celebrated 27 years of freedom in South Africa. Isn't that phenomenal? 27 years that we have a free democracy. And there are lots to be thankful for, and there's lots to celebrate for how far we've come as a nation. However, not even everyone was feeling so positive on the Tuesday, especially not all of the politicians. I wrote an article of a speech of Mr. Julius Malema, leader of the economic freedom fighters, and part of his speech was, why are we celebrating? Why can we celebrate Freedom Day when not everyone in the country is actually experiencing and enjoying the freedom of the country? And he was specifically referring to the economic and financial oppression that the majority of the country was facing, or is facing. And so that oppression is keeping the so-called freedom out of people's reach. And you know what? I tend to agree with him. I think he's right. I think... Even though we've come a long way, even though we are enjoying freedom of democracy, we have to be honest with one another to see and to say that there's a lot more that needs to be done. 
majority of the country aren't enjoying this freedom. They're still being oppressed financially. Where I actually disagree with them is the thought that a mere transfer of economic resources is the answer to all the problems. That a mere financial empowerment will suddenly mean freedom for all South Africans. We do need to address the economic oppression. With that, I agree. However, I believe the economic situation and oppression and poverty that we're facing in this country is actually symptomatic of a larger problem that we're facing as a society as a whole. And so what we need is something greater than just economic freedom. We need a vision that would be able to unite all South Africans to work together not only for themselves but for the better of the society and for one another. And honestly, church, it's not just because I'm a pastor and a church leader. I do believe that the answer lies within the gospel. I am convinced that the gospel is the vision that would be able to not only unite all South Africans, but actually give true freedom for all South Africans. And so that's what today's text is about. I want us to see the uniting and the liberating effect that the gospel had on that initial community and in that initial known world in Jerusalem. And so if you're here for today for the first time, we're in the series in Acts called Saint, where we're in Acts 2 right now. We've seen that Acts is a continuation of Luke's first volume, The Gospel According to Luke. And Acts refers not only to the Acts of the Apostles, but rather to the continued Acts of Jesus Christ through his, his Holy Spirit, empowering the, the apostles and the early church. And so this is an ongoing process of what Jesus came to initially do on earth and what he is continuing to do as he sits on the throne. And so however, where we are right now, at this stage, Jesus has just descended into heaven. He commanded his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's now 10 days past the ascension, meaning that it's 50 days after Passover or after when Jesus was crucified. And this is where we are in the story. The disciples, the apostles are in Jerusalem. They are waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this is where we jump into today's text. Now, you'll notice today, remember, Luke is telling a story, or he's telling the history like he's telling a story. And so we've got different movements in the story. And so what I want to do is kind of take us through the movements of this narrative to see what it is that Luke was trying to communicate to his first original audience and also to us today. And so verses 1 to 13 sets the scene perfectly. It kind of gives us a lay of the land, an intro for what is about to happen. And so read with me quickly again those first 13 verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house when they, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are oh, not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us 
in his own native language. Parthian, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. And so to help us kind of understand what's happening right here, Pentecost was an Old Testament festival called the Feast of Weeks. And that celebrated the end of the grain harvest. And they always celebrated this 50 days after Passover. That's why it's called Pentecost. Penta meaning 50. 50 days after Passover. And so what we have here, besides the disciples obviously residing in Jerusalem, is a festival where many people are taking part in this Old Testament festival. And we see from the scripture that the people attending the festival were Jews from every nation under the earth. And what this means is that you had Jews from Jewish heritage that were born in different parts of the world and grew up in different parts of the world. And so the places where they grew up, they actually learned that language. And so Hebrew wasn't their first language. It was probably their second or third language. And so being a devout Jew, even if you grew up in a different place, you wanted to be close to the temple. And so many of these Jews, even though they grew up in different places, started moving to Jerusalem because they wanted to be close to the temple. And so this is what you've got. You've got this interesting mix. All Jews of Jewish heritage, though they were all speaking probably in their first language, different languages. And so I've actually got an image. Do we have the image on there, Yanni? This is where everyone was from at Jerusalem. And so that's kind of a map to illustrate all the places mentioned in the text. This is where people all the way from Rome, we see that Africa is represented there. Whoop, whoop. Yep, so we've got some people from Africa, Jewish Jews from Africa at Jerusalem. And so for this would have been the known world for them. This kind of was representative of every nation under the earth. And so it's kind of metaphorical language. And so when they're speaking about Jews from every nation among the earth, this is, was the known world for them at this stage. And so it is in this scene, during this festival, that we actually see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost is a major event in human, in human history, not just because we've got the power of hindsight and we now know that it was also the giving of the Holy Spirit, but also because what was symbolized at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see the sound of a rushing wind. We see something that looked like tongues of fire appear above the apostles' heads. And then we see that they were filled with the Spirit and they started speaking in different languages. Now, you've got to know this. When the original audience read this, they would have noticed two very important things. They knew that something big was happening right here, and here's the reason why. Everywhere and every time you read in the Old Testament that God is moving or that God is making himself, himself known, we see the sign of a mighty rushing wind and of fire. We see this in Exodus. We see this at the, when he makes the first covenant with Israel. We see this at the mountain of God, Sinai, 
constant fire and wind. We see this in the way that he filled the temple with his presence in wind and in fire. So whatever is going on here, we know that not only is this supernatural, but it's from God. God is moving, and the people notice this. The second reason why we know that this was actually a big sign or illustrating something else was because we saw that the apostles and the disciples started speaking in other languages. Now, you've got to notice here, later in the New Testament, we're going to read in Corinthians, that some people have the gift of tongues. But when we read about that, we see that those languages or that tongue needs to be interpreted. These languages didn't need to be interpreted. And the reason for that is, is that they didn't speak in unintelligible languages. They actually spoke in languages that people spoke in different parts of the world. And so they spoke... And it represented all the different nations from around the world. And so the people are bewildered. They're seeing the signs, they're hearing the wind, they're hearing the languages, and they ask, are these not all Galileans? People who only spoke Hebrew. Galilee was the people for the rural folk. City folk actually looked down on them. These uncultured Galileans, they only speak one language. They only know Hebrew. You know the city culture looks down on rural folk? That's what was happening right here. And, and they were trying to make sense of it. And some, not trying to make sense of it, just laughing it off. No, these guys are drunk. They're enjoying their new wine. However, it was undeniable that the pertinent question remains for us in verse 13. What does all of this mean? And that's what Luke wants us to read as well, that this simply wasn't an event. It wasn't just the introduction of the Holy Spirit to the world. This event has meaning. And so we've got to ask the question, what does this mean for us? Enter the Apostle Peter, our loose canon Peter. We enjoy him, don't we? Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, gives a magnificent speech to give them the explanation, and not just giving them explanation, but heralding a new dawn for the people of earth. And he does this in two movements. And so we're first going to look at the first movement from verses 14 to 21. And Peter starts talking, and he's like, guys, they're not drunk. It's still very early. Even people who get drunk during the day aren't drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. But being a devout Jew, you shouldn't be surprised at what's happening. You should know, Jews of Jerusalem, that this has been foretold by your scriptures. We read in Joel, verse 17, that in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. These are the last days, is what Peter is saying. Jesus inaugurated the messianic age with his ascension. What is happening now is not just a sign, it is the fulfillment of what was promised in the Old Testament. In Joel, but not just in Joel, we've got it, we see it in Isaiah, we see it in the book of Ezekiel, and man, I wish we had time to dive, to dive into those texts, but there's just not enough time this morning. 
And this is what is being fulfilled. Everyone can now receive the Holy Spirit. There is no distinction more between gender or race or age or social status. God freely gives his Holy Spirit and not in any small measure. We see that he pours out his Holy Spirit to all people who believe. And these people who then receive his Holy Spirit, we see according to the prophecy, they will act as prophets. And we see that this fulfillment has a very specific idea in mind. Again, later in the book of Corinthians, we see that only some people receive the gift of prophecy. However, in this passage, we see that everyone who receives the Spirit of God will in some shape, way, or form act as prophets. And so what was Luke getting at at this stage? Well, he's definitely making a link with the Old Testament here. We see in the Old Testament that the prophets were the mouthpieces of God. God, when he wanted to give his word to people, he spoke to the prophets and the prophets brought that word to God. Not so anymore. Not so after Pentecost. Now God gave his word and we can read it. And we can understand it and we can respond to this word by the Holy Spirit. Friends, we've got to recognize this morning the fact that you and I can know and understand that Jesus is our Lord and Savior is not by our own doing. The only way that we can understand and read what the Bible is telling us is through the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't give ourselves that much credit. Without the Spirit of God, we could read the words of God, we could understand the words of God, we could make sense of the Word of God, but it would not penetrate our hearts. And therefore, we would never react to the Word of God. And so now by receiving God's Holy Spirit, we not only understand His words, but we become heralds, we become proclaimers, prophets of the truth, speaking the words of God to the people around us as well. This is what God has called us to do, speaking the words of God to the world. Through these words that we speak to the world, People can come to know God and everyone there in verse 21 who calls on the name of God will be saved. That's why we see the symbolism in the first passage of the different languages. God is illustrating in this event that no longer will only a select group of people be able to enjoy the blessings and intimacy with God. No, God is calling the whole world to call on the name of Jesus. Every nation under earth, every tongue, every language is now invited into the family of God. And we, as his prophets and prophetesses, have been commissioned to go and speak this word of truth and life. By this event, God is opening up the door to the rest of the world. If you were a Jew listening to the speech for the first time, your mouth would have dropped to the floor. You would have heard a pin drop. The question is, why now? How, how can this be that God is now opening up the door to the rest of the world? It's blasphemous to think that everyone and everywhere can receive the Spirit of God. The most holy God. Remember, we are but mere human beings, born in sin, wicked by nature, deceitful in our inner being. We see it even in the way that we run. Every person in leadership position is somehow corrupted by that power. 
We see it in the broken systems around us. We see it in the inequality. We see it in the economic structures. Everything is twisted and tainted by the wickedness of men. Even the Israelites, the chosen people of God, weren't able to get close to God. That's why they had that whole sacrificial system and purification system. Not that they even could get into contact with God, but simply that God could be able to dwell in their midst in the temple. Through all these systems, just so that God could get relatively close to them. And even then, only the high priest could go once a year into the presence of God. And now you're talking about every person, everywhere, even the Gentile defiled nations being inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God? How can this be? Peter moves on, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. It is only because of Christ that we are now in the Messianic age. Peter goes on and he explains the full gospel to the crowd in front of them to make sense of what is happening. He explains Jesus' life and ministry, that he was delivered up for death by wicked men, that it was through their wickedness, the crowd's wickedness, that Jesus was killed. But even when he was killed, however, we even saw that this was prophesied, that this was not out of the control of God, that even David prophesied and said that there would be a true king that would one day sit on the throne, but that king would not see decay and corruption in his flesh. And we see that they're not referring to David because David's dead. They've got his bones. His body saw decay. No, David was referring to the future king. So even though Jesus died, he rose and he rose physically. This is not a spiritual resurrection. We see that his body did not see decay and corruption. And because he is the resurrected Christ, Jesus is also exalted as the true king. Having ascended into the heavens, his kingdom has come is coming and will one day fully come when he returns. Know this today that he is Lord, that he is King and that he is Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the one who reigns on high and to whom the all, all the earth owes its allegiance. But it is precisely because of his sacrificial death, atonement and payment for our sins on the cross that he is not just the one that deserves our praise, but he's also the one that gives us the opportunity to enter into relationship through forgiveness of sins. It is ultimately him to whom we look for grace and peace. And it's through this gospel, it's through this Jesus that we can receive the Holy Spirit of God. There is no other, there is no one else, there is nothing else. So family, for us today, this gospel is awe-inspiring. That is without a doubt. What might happen sometimes, I don't know, this happens with me as well, we get something called gospel familiarity. What's the word? Who can say familiar with the gospel? I can't say that word right now. English is leaving me. I'm not going to try that again. 
But we get so familiar with the gospel that we get used to the gospel and we lose its impact on our lives. And it's not because the gospel is any less impactful, it's because we somehow get distracted by the things around us. So yes, we still return to the gospel. Yes, we still see the beauty of the gospel, but just maybe not as shining as the new thing that I'm actually chasing or that I'm enjoying or that I'm trusting in. Hear the phenomenal work of Christ again this morning. See the beauty of what Jesus has done. Be in the audience and recognize what it means to receive the Spirit of God. If we're not totally captured by the gospel, it will ultimately also influence the way that we disciple and evangelize the people around us. <laughs> Friends, hear this again this morning. People don't need church. People don't need to be part of the Christian club. People don't need to live more like Christians or like Christ. What we need is to get to God. And the only way that we can get to God is through Christ. People need Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. And that only comes from hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. That's why when we disciple people, it's great to build relationships. It's great to be intentional. But ultimately, we want to get to the gospel. If you're anything like me, you're full of insecurity. And so we're so scared of sharing the gospel for fear of rejection. It's just me. And so we kind of live close enough to people and we just hope that they see our lives, they kind of get the gospel and we don't have to speak about it. We kind of hope that it just rubs off in them. And somehow I can maybe invite them to church. They'll sit in their chairs and my work is done. I don't have to share the gospel. There are sayings out there that kind of enforce this idea and it just isn't helpful. Have you ever heard the following, preach the gospel and if necessary use words? Anyone heard? This is false. That's like saying feed the poor and if necessary use food. No, there, there's some truth to that saying, and I kind of understand what people were getting at, but it's just unhelpful. We need to encourage one another to share the actual gospel using actual words. There is a time and a space, there is a way, there is wisdom in how and when we share that, and we've got something at Red Hook called missional communities where we live on mission together, we, we, we want to help one another, we want to share our stories, we want to be intentional, and when and where we can share these things, sure, but make no mistake, God chose words to make himself known, to make his will known to us. And he uses words to convince and convict people of the beauty of the gospel. And so in the way that Peter explained to the people what was happening in front of them, we need to take this and explain the full gospel. It's probably not going to happen in a speech like you're going to make like Peter, but over time we've got to make sure that we expose people to the gospel. Fortunately, we have the gift of the church as well, where they don't just hear it from one avenue and from one voice and from one mouth. We've got friends and family that we can invite to so we can get different angles of the gospel. And how can you be sure that you'll get this right? Well, friends, you have the Holy Spirit. Remember Acts 1.8. The Spirit will empower you to be witnesses of God. This is the work of the Spirit. This is why we've been given this. What a speech from Peter. 
I want us to listen and notice the response of the crowd to this speech. Read with me verses 37 to 41. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Revival. Two things that God requires from us, and two things that he freely gives us. I don't know if you noticed. We need to repent, be baptized, and God will give us his spirit, and forgiveness. To repent means to turn away from your sin and turn to God. It's 180 degrees. It is an active moment where I stop putting my my trust or find my enjoyment in things of God, but rather in God himself. To be baptized is an act of of obedience. And so basically what this means, repent and be obedient to God. Baptism is an outward sign of what we believe in our innermost being. Why should we be baptized? Well, simply put, because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. And we want to obey him. If you're a Christian, but you've not been baptized, I want to implore you to come have a conversation either with me or the person who invited you not because if you'll be baptized, you're going to receive some or other extra or special blessing from God. Rather, that it's going to be the pleasure of obeying the one whom we love and serve. And so as we do this, as we turn from our old ways, as we turn to God, as we trust in him, as we start obeying him and loving him, we see God give us freely his forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Oh, how sweet to one day stand before the throne of God without the anxiety or the anxiousness of what he's going to say, but rather knowing that the animosity is gone. The relationship has been restored. He will look at you and say, welcome, good and faithful servant, brother and sister of Jesus Christ. And now we can call him Abba, Father. We can approach the throne of grace freely. The promises for those who are close and for those who are far off. Friends, this is true freedom. To be set free from the bondage of sin and to be able to really love your neighbor. If we are serious about freedom and we want to be good to our city, I know we say at Red Door we want to be city-loving, and we want to see the restoration of people's lives, and we want to see inequality wiped out, we want to see the structures of the country change, then we need to be serious about a vision that will bring unity to all mankind. And this can only be if we receive the forgiveness of God. And if we have the Holy Spirit that will change our hearts, sanctify our hearts, and we're going to see this play out in the rest of Acts, how a changed heart leads to changed behavior. 
What we can't do is rely on something and try to do it the other way around. Just trying to do behavioral modification. Just trying to transfer funds from one account to another. There's no change in that. We need to give that up to gain something so more precious. And so I want to close for us with the words of Jim Elliott, and he puts it this way. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father God, what a great and monumental shift in history it was when not only you came and you walked on earth, when you were Emmanuel, God, with us, but now you gave your Holy Spirit, God, in us. Father, we have to admit that at most times we get so familiar with this truth and with the gospel that we somehow forget the impactfulness of it. I pray even as we look around us and we are weighed down by the challenges that we face as a nation, as a city, maybe even as individuals as we're confronted by our own brokenness, Father, that we would look to the one that came to pay it all. Father, we once again want to be comforted by this glorious truth. We want to herald this truth to one another and to a world who is dying without you. We thank you for the beauty of the gospel. We thank you for a community where we can celebrate this, encourage one another, and witness, Father. We pray that this message would not just stay with us, but that we would actually use the words of Christ and speak them to other people. We who have been given the Spirit of God, who act as your mouthpiece, as your prophet. All of this you freely give. All of this you have equipped us and blessed us with through your Holy Spirit. And for that, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.